stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. This is an interesting issue out of Montreal, and it seems like an issue we've talked about before. It was a high-profile case uh, here in Calgary some years ago, and we've heard about similar cases elsewhere. This time it's in Montreal, where a court has ordered a 14-year-old girl suffering from lymphoma to undergo a blood transfusion. Her doctors, her medical team, say that this is crucial to saving this girl's life. The child, her parents... They are members of the Jehovah's Witness faith. And as we've seen in previous cases, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that blood transfusions are prohibited explicitly by the Bible. Now, from a theological point, I know a lot of other Christians would quibble with that, follow the same Bible, but nonetheless, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Uh, So the girl, the family in question here, did not want this blood transfusion. And it's mind-boggling to me that you would put that principle over the life of your child. I don't understand that. I cannot comprehend that. So yes, we have freedom of religion in this country. And you as an adult, if that matters that much to you, you're prepared to die rather than have a blood transfusion. I suppose that's your call to make. What about a 14-year-old? Is a 14-year-old in a position to make that decision? How old is old enough to start making those kinds of decisions? It raises some uh, ethical issues, indeed. Joining us uh, for some further thoughts, pleased to welcome to the program Juliet Guichon, assistant professor uh, at the uh, University of Calgary Coming School of Medicine. Juliet, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Well, you know, you've written about this. There have been other cases like this. Uh, Should we be surprised that it it seems to, to keep happening? Well, in, in one sense, it's surprising because the number of people who adhere to that faith is declining in North America. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think we can expect less and less of this. Um, but on the other hand, the, the governing organization, the Watchtower Society, is um, enforcing this rule. And uh, so par- parents and children don't have much choice. So they must adhere to this um, dictate by the Watchtower Society. Now, age becomes a big factor in these cases, and, and you know, it's, it becomes more clear, uh, I, I guess, the, the older or younger they are. If this was a 10-year-old girl, if this were an 18-year-old girl, it maybe it would be easier to say, look, she's, she's too young or she is old enough to make these decisions. 14, you know, these early teen years, it, it's become more of a gray area? Yes, yes, it does, in, in a sense that um, both the statute law in Quebec and the common, or the, the Supreme Court's ruling... Um, suggests that at around, at around age 14, so the statute law in Quebec is that at age 14, a child um, is a mature minor and can make some decisions on his own or her own. The Supreme Court considered this case at length, or not this case, but this issue at length, and rendered its decision actually on the day that Michael Jackson died. So very few people heard about the, this decision, but it was very important. And it talked about how the, the greater the likelihood of harm, the greater the scrutiny should be as to whether the child is actually able to make uh, his or her own decision. So age is a factor, but as you say, then the seriousness of the situation is is a big factor too. Uh, and so this is a 14-year-old in Montreal uh, dealing with Hodgkin's lymphoma. This is potentially life-saving. So that, that's, that raises the stakes considerably now. 
It does. Uh, not least because the odds are very good for her if she were to, uh, and as she has, because she's been forced to, uh, undergo treatment. Um, there's a very the very strong likelihood, I think it was 97% of um, Yes, of healing, and 85% without any recurrence or relapse. So those are extremely good odds, and a court would be very unlikely to um, to stand by and watch a child die when the odds are that good. Now, again, she's 14, so people might say, oh, she's able to make her own decisions, but people who have reared children know that 14... It's not. It's not an age of wisdom. I mean, we all know that. And the the key thing here is that the Watchtower Society, which runs the Jehovah's Witness religion, like the Vatican runs the uh, Catholics, is um, has a big problem because it has the lowest retention rate of any religion. So, in other words, the court has to see this child as growing up and being unlikely to be a Jehovah's Witness at uh, adulthood. So. So the, ch- the child has a right to stay alive long enough to make his or her own, his or her own religious choices. And, and the low retention rate is, is a significant factor, in my opinion, um, in, in m- making a decision about this child. Right. I mean, obviously, look, freedom of religion is, is pretty fundamental in Canada, too, and, and we understand that. But I, I guess in these cases, it becomes, well, at, at what cost is, is it worth someone dying? in order to, to protect that freedom of religion? Well, the question is, whose freedom? I mean, the, the Watchtower Society has concocted this rule, um, and, and biblical scholars don't know where it came from, because this it has to do with the slaughtering of animals and not allowing the blood to get into the water supply. So so they have the freedom to, to decide that this is what the biblical passages mean, but they require people to be, to shun those who don't follow their rules. So the the notion of religious freedom is poorly applied in the context of the Watchtower Society. It it does not encourage people to make free choices. It penalizes them if they make choices that the Watchtower Society does not agree with. So the pressure comes not just from necessarily the parents or even the teenager really believing this, but do you think then a, a lot of it is that fear of how they're going to be judged by their community if they allow a blood transfusion to occur? In fact, the parents and the child probably are mouthing the right words, counting on the state to rescue the child. Because the the Watchtower Society sends in these people called the hospital liaison committee, who are elders who might be, you know, very nice people, but they're plumbers or um, electricians or, you know, they, they have daytime jobs. But they, they go into the hospital and they sit with the family. And the question is, are they, are they there supporting or are they there enforcing? So th- there's a high risk that, that if the parents or the child say the wrong thing, then, then, he, then they're going to lose their friends and family. So... It's a very fraught situation for the the parents and the family and the and the patient. So it 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 could well be that they truly believe this, but it's also possible that they don't and they want to live, but they want to keep their friends and family. And it's the Watchtower Society who makes it difficult for the hospital personnel to know which it is. And if the Watchtower Society were to change its behavior and to stop this rule about shunning, then it would be it would be easier for everybody. 
It certainly would be. Um, you know, even aside from the religion aspect to, to these kinds of cases, uh, you know, it's, people tend to see these as, you know, parental rights. Or, or does the state or do the courts have the right to overrule uh, the parents when it comes to medical treatment? What's the obligation of health care providers and what's the obligation of the courts? Always the best interest of the child. Always. Yeah. So, so if, if the parents decide, if they're unable or unwilling to provide necessary medical treatment, then the child is, is you know, under the protection of the state once the court agrees that, that those conditions prevail. So we as society accept that some parents are not able to care for their children or they have unusual beliefs that are putting their ch- child at risk. And we've seen uh, three cases already in Alberta of, of parents who who's whose beliefs led to their their child's death. So, I mean, the the state is vigilant about helping a child live. And that's, uh, certainly that's the prevailing principle in this case here, that this is about keeping this child alive. Absolutely. And and the child, as I say, is unlikely to be a Jehovah's Witness at age 25. The, the Watchtower Society is threatened by the Internet, and it, it requires its adherents not to go online, um, to look at other sites. They can look at their site, but not other sites. Right. And so um, there are a lot of dissident or, non, or non-Orthodox Jehovah's Witness sites that people read, and then, then they start to gain insight into how their um, decision-making has been interfered with by religious organization. And, and as I say, then, then the attrition starts. Well, as you say, we're seeing fewer of these cases, but uh, unless there's some change from within, this is probably going to come up again at some point, isn't it? It is. It is. It's expensive because a lot of hospital time is devoted to this situation, and um, then the you know the ethics uh, committee gets involved. Then they refer it to um, the hospital social worker. That person, you know, decides the point at which it has to go to court. Um, and then it goes to court and takes up, you know, the judge's time, the bailiff, the, uh, you know, the other side. And, and by the way, the defense is funded by the Watchtower Society. It's not, it's not the, the family that pay for legal counsel. It's, it's the church lawyer who's headquartered in Georgetown, Ontario. He flies out. I think it's, a t- it's usually a team of two. But they fly out to, um, to, to defend the case. So arguably, th- there's a conflict. Are they defending... The Watchtower Society, or are they defending the the, the child? Yeah. And in the Bethany Hughes case, the I never saw the uh, the Watchtower Society lawyer ever take instructions from um, the, the the child's representative, the mother. So it, it is a very very odd setup, and it um, it calls out for insight on all parties to see how best to protect the child and arguably the parents who don't want to lose their child. Indeed. We'll leave it there. Uh, Julie, really appreciate the insight on this. Thanks for making some time for us here today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. As uh, Julia Guichon, assistant professor of medicine at the University of Calgary, so her thoughts on some of the issues that these cases raise. And again, the courts look at two factors, the age slash maturity and the severity of the case. How crucial is the blood transfusion to whether or not this child lives or dies? The judge in this case... Now, the teens identified in this ruling only as X. So, X is this 14-year-old girl. 
Although the judge noted that X exhibited a high level of maturity, he ultimately concluded, quote, the need for a blood transfusion should be considered to save the life of X or avoid permanent damage to her physical integrity. So in this case, the judge has ruled that the blood transfusion will go ahead. To me, that makes sense. Where do you come down on this? 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.